Second Kings chapter 7, verses 3 to 11. Now there were four leprous men outside the city gate who said to one another, Why should we sit here until we die? If we say, Let us enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. But if we sit here, we shall also die. Therefore let us desert into the Aramean camp. If they spare our lives, we shall live, and if they kill us, we shall die. So they arose to the twilight, or at twilight to go to the Aramean camp. But when they came to the edge of the Aramean camp, there was no one there at all. For the Lord had caused the Aramean army to hear the sounds of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, The king of Israel has hired the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to fight against us. So they fled away into the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, leaving the camp just as it was, and fled for their lives. When these leprous men had come to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent and ate and drank, carried off silver, gold, and clothing, and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent, carried off things from it, and went and hid them. Then they said to one another, What are we doing? Or what we are doing is wrong. This is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, we will be found guilty. Therefore let us go and tell the king's household. So they came so they came and called to the gatekeepers of the city and told them, We went to the Aramean camp, but There was no one to be seen or heard there, nothing but the horses tied, the donkeys tied, and the tents as they were. Then the gatekeeper called out out and proclaimed it to the king's household, the word of God for the people of God. This morning, I want to talk about Jan's diary. It's okay with Jan. I asked her permission, to, and she said it was okay for me to tell a little bit of her, her story this morning. Jan, you might as well wave. We're going to be talking about you. Jan's sitting over there with her husband, Chris, under, under the balcony. Uh, Jan, we, I was excited to see Jan pull up because she's been a little bit under the weather this, this week, and that's actually what I want to talk about. So, so when I came to Court Street Church a, a few years ago, Jan was one of the most active members of our church family. Jan was one of those people who showed up for every church event, and she was one of our parish visitors, which means that Jan would spend her week traveling around from place to place and, and visiting with the homebound members of our church family, and Jan was a really terrific parish visitor. She has this, this gentle and encouraging presence, and people love to get a, a visit from Jan, a few years ago when I got here to Court Street, Jan was was one of the most active members of our church family. But since then, in the last few years, Jan has had a a number of health setbacks. She had a, a series of strokes 
and she was diagnosed with Parkinson's, and, and there are a bunch of other things going on that the doctors haven't even figured out yet, haven't even given a, a diagnosis for yet. And so over the last few years, Jan has found that she's been able to do fewer and, and fewer of the things that she used to do. Now, when Jan is feeling well enough to join us on a Sunday, she, she pushes a walker in from the parking lot, and it, it takes her a little while to make the trip from her car to, to the front door. Jan used to be one of the most active members of our church family, but now in the last couple of years, she's, she's been learning how to live as a person with a, with a disability. And that's why Jan was so excited about the sermon series that, that we've been working our way through this month. Back at the beginning of the month, Jan reached out and she told the pastors how excited she was that we were going to have a, a series of conversations celebrating the gifts, the voices, the ministries of, of people with disabilities. Jan, Jan was really excited to come and be with us in worship this month. She's been here. She's been making the effort to get here every Sunday. She was here last Sunday. She and, and Chris had a great time in worship last Sunday. And then after worship, they were, were getting ready to go. They were just about walk, to walk out the door when, when something happened. Just as Jan was about to walk out the front door of the church, she, she suddenly lost control of her body. She lost the ability to, to move her limbs. And she lost all of her senses, except we later found the, the ability to hear. Jan, just as she was on her way out the door last Sunday, collapsed right in front of the door. It was scary. It was a scary moment for Jan. It was a, a scary moment for everyone who was there to witness it. We had a, a scary moment there at the front door of the church last Sunday after worship. But then after that scary moment, right in the middle of that scary moment, something truly remarkable happened. Jan's church family gathered around her and, and started caring for her. Jan's friends, Janet Williamson and Carol Smith, each got on a side of her and wrapped their arms around her and started talking to her and praying with her. Janet Williamson started reciting psalms that she had learned from her mother when she was a child growing up to keep Jan calm and to keep everybody else calm too. Her friends were right there beside her in that moment. And just like that, we had two nurses on the scene. Mickey Clark and Alicia Stetson were there before you could, could blink. I'm not saying if you're going to have a major health-related event, you should have it at Court Street Church on a Sunday morning. I'm not saying come here and have your health-related events. I will say if you are going to have a major health-related event, there are a lot worse places you could be than Court Street Church on a Sunday morning. At Court Street on a Sunday, you're, you're never very far away from a nurse or a doctor or seven. And, and so uh, there were nurses on the scene caring for Jan uh, right almost as, as soon as she collapsed. And the church staff, Nate and Stephen at the front door, did a fantastic job of remaining calm and, and calling for an ambulance and then making sure that the paramedics would have access to Jan and be able to, to take her out quickly when they got here. And then when the ambulance arrived, Ken, Ken Smith volunteered to drive Chris and Jan's car to the hospital so that Chris would be able to ride in the ambulance with Jan all the way to the hospital. And then Ken Smith and Carol Smith stayed with Chris and Jan for hours in the emergency room. They waited with them until late in the afternoon to make sure that Chris and Jan didn't have to go through what they were going through alone. Because at Court Street United Methodist Church, we believe that nobody should ever have to walk through the darkness alone. We believe that God has called us to carry one another. And I am so grateful for all of the people who care 
married Chris and Jan last Sunday after Jan had her event. You, you were a beautiful church family to Jan last Sunday. Thank you to everyone, everyone who cared for her in that moment. I didn't get to see Jan again until, until late on Sunday. We had a busy Sunday last week. We had our, our church conference on Sunday afternoon, and then we had confirmation classes in the evening. And so I didn't actually leave the church until 8 o'clock last Sunday night. And so I didn't get to the, the hospital until uh, probably around 8.30. And by the time I got to the hospital, Jan was, was talking and she was smiling. And I walked into her hospital room just, just in time to witness a really beautiful moment. There was a doctor who was standing there by the side of Jan's bed, and, and this doctor, she was, was talking about all of the, the tests that they were going to run and the theories that they had about what had happened, and Jan listened very patiently. And then when the doctor finished her presentation, she, she asked Jan, she said, now, do you have any questions? And Jan smiled, and, and she reached out her hand, and she said, yes, she said, I do have a question. She said, what is your name? And so the doctor smiled, and she took Jan's hand, and she told Jan her name. And then Jan, Jan, lying there flat on her back in a hospital bed, started to tell this doctor how grateful she was for all of the care that she had received and how much confidence she had in this doctor and the team of people who were looking after her and how she believed that God was going to work through them as they cared for all of their patients there in the hospital. I am here to tell you, by the time the doctor walked out of that hospital room, she was standing about 12 feet tall and smiling like she had just won the lottery. I got, I got to watch Jan Stiley lying flat on her back in a hospital bed after one of the scariest and most exhausting days of her life, ministering to the doctor who was there to take care of her. It was, it was a beautiful moment. Last Sunday, Jan, Jan brought out the very best in our church family. Last Sunday, Jan continued to minister and share her faith with people, even, even in the, the most difficult moments of that day. I've been thinking about you a lot this week, Jan. I've been thinking about Jan a lot this week as I've been, as I've been pondering the story in this morning's scripture reading. In today's scripture reading, we have a, a, a weird and, and little told story from the book of, of 2 Kings. I don't remember learning this story in Sunday school growing up. I don't remember spending much time talking about this story back when I was in seminary studying the Bible. It is, is just an obscure story that I don't think I've ever even heard a, a sermon about in all my years of, of church worshiping and, and, and Sunday school attendance. And yet, as I've been sitting with this story this week, it's, it's grown on me. And I got to the point this week where I started to think that there might be 12 or, or maybe even a couple dozen different sermons in, in this strange little story from the book of 2 Kings. I'm not going to preach all of those sermons this morning. I'm just going to stick to one. I'm only going to preach one of, one of those sermons. So the story goes like this. The story comes from a, a difficult and a dark moment in the life of, of the Israelites. The, the nation of Israel had been experiencing a drought that lasted for, for years and years, and famine swept across the land. And in this time of, of hunger and famine, the, the Israelites' neighbors, their enemies, the Arameans, sensed, sensed weakness. They thought that they sensed an opportunity. And so the king of the Arameans sent a, a great army, tens of thousands of soldiers, to attack the city of Samaria. And the people in the city, they heard this army coming, and so they, they got the gates closed in time, and they sort of hoped that the army would maybe march off and attack some other city. But instead, the, the Arameans just hunkered down. They settled in. They formed a, a massive encampment. The soldiers pitched thousands of tents right in front of the city gates, and they, they made it clear that they were going to wait the people of the city out. 
And so as the siege dragged on week after week, month after month, it got to the point where the people in the city had eaten everything there was to eat in the city. The, the Bible tells us that the people in the city were so desperate that they ate their own donkeys. The, the Bible tells us that there was no grain for sale in the marketplace. Instead, people scraped up bird droppings and they sold little packets of, of bird droppings for exorbitant prices. And those who had money bought the bird droppings and that was what they ate. And those who didn't have money, the the Bible tells us, they resorted to cannibalism. The people of the city were literally eating one another. And, And in the darkest moment, just when it seemed like all hope was lost, God stepped in. God decided to intervene. One night in the darkest part of the night, God made a sound. God made this enormous sound that made the ground shake, that made the tents of the Arameans tremble. In the middle of the night, the Arameans heard this sound and they panicked. They believed that an even larger army was sneaking up on them and about to attack them in the night. And so the Arameans dropped everything, jumped out of bed, and fled. They didn't even even bother to get dressed. They left their clothes behind. They left their armor behind. They left their tents and their horses and their food behind. The Arameans ran away and the, te- the, the tents were left empty. The, the encampment was abandoned. The city was saved. The, the city was free, but there was just one problem. The, the people of the city didn't realize what had happened. As the sun was coming up the next morning, the the guards in their towers and the guards on the walls looked out and they saw the camp the same as it had been. They saw the horses the same as they had been. And so they figured that they were still prisoners. They figured that they were still under siege. The people of the city, even though God had already won the victory outside their gates, continued to tremble in fear within the walls of the city. There's a sermon in that, but I'm not going to preach that sermon this morning. That's not the sermon I want to preach today. And so it's at this point in the the story that we meet four unlikely heroes. There were four lepers who lived outside the walls of the city. Now, in those days, leprosy was was not the same disease that today we call leprosy. Back in those days, anybody who had any kind of a a lingering skin condition could be diagnosed as a leper, classified as a leper. And back in those days, people were, were terrified of leprosy. You know, they believed that leprosy was contagious. They believed that leprosy was a a punishment from God. They believed that lepers were unhealthy and untrustworthy and and unclean. And so there were all of these rules and laws and regulations about how lepers had to live and how they had to conduct themselves. Lepers were not allowed to live inside the city. They weren't allowed to walk through the gates and come inside the city. They had to live outside the walls. And if a leper saw somebody coming, approaching them, uh, the the leper had to to put a hand over their mouth, cover, cover their mouth and shout, unclean, unclean, so that people would know to steer clear and and not get too close to the the people with leprosy. And so it was that in those days, what today we would call a, a moderate case of eczema became a real disability. Lepers were not able to work. They were cut off from their homes, from their families. They were cut off from their communities completely. And that's what happened to these four lepers. The only people they had left was each other. And there's a sermon in that too, but I'm not going to preach that sermon today either. These four lepers lived outside the walls of the city and, and they survived by picking through the garbage that people would throw off, of the, off the top of the city walls. They ate other people's leftover scraps of, of garbage, but it had been weeks since anybody threw anything even remotely edible over the walls of the city. And so the lepers outside were starving just the same as the people inside the city. 
And finally, one night, the, the four lepers, they looked at each other and they decided to do something truly desperate. They said, you know what? Let's go surrender to the Arameans. Maybe they'll kill us. Maybe they'll take us prisoner. Even way, our troubles are over. Either way, either way, this daily battle just to survive will be ended. And so together, the four lepers walked towards the, the encampment of the Arameans. And as they got closer and closer to the encampment, they noticed that there was an eerie sort of quiet in the camp. They realized that it wasn't, it wasn't noisy and filled with activity the way an army encampment should be. And they, they lifted the flap and they peeked inside one of the tents and they saw that the tent was empty. They were ready to surrender to the first Aramean they met, but there was nobody to surrender to. They checked the next tent and it was empty and the one after that and the one after that. They realized that the entire camp had been abandoned. They couldn't believe their luck. What followed was the greatest party that four lepers have ever thrown in the history of parties. These four lepers moved into the camp and they had a great time playing dress up. They put on the armor and, and the clothes that had been left behind and pretended that they were kings and, and generals and they had a great time playing with the swords and axes and spears and things that had, had been left by the Arameans and they, they had a good time sitting on silk cushions in the fanciest tents and they, they ate rich food and they drank fine wine and they ate and they ate and they ate like they had not eaten in years. They set a feast for themselves and, and they, they stuffed themselves and then finally after they couldn't eat anymore there was this, this quiet moment as they, they lay back in those fancy clothes on those silk cushions with their bellies full, there was a, a quiet moment like happens after Thanksgiving dinner at your house. There was a, a quiet moment as everybody was drowsy. And it was in that quiet moment that their consciences began to work on them. As four lepers got to thinking about all of the people who were still starving in the city just a, a few yards away. And even though those people had shut them out, even though those people had mistreated them and called them unclean, the lepers were moved with compassion for the people of that city. And as they were sitting there together with their bellies full, they looked at one another and they said, you know, today is a day of good news. And it seems like good news really ought to be shared. What are we going to do? Sit here until we die? Let's go and tell the people of the city what has happened. And so they get up and they go to the gates of the city and they shout at the guards up on the wall what has happened. And at first the people in the city don't believe the lepers. They think it's a trick. They know that, that lepers are untrustworthy and unclean. But finally the king decides to send out some riders, some soldiers on horseback to, to check the encampment and see if the story is true. And by the way, let's just take a moment to notice that in the moment of utmost famine, even as the people of the city are eating one another, the king has still got an army and the soldiers still have horses. Even in the moment of utmost famine, the last thing to be cut is the defense budget. And there's a sermon in that, but I'm not going to preach that sermon this morning either. The riders, the riders on horseback go out and check the encampment and they discover that the story is true. They come back and, and report the good news. The people come pouring out of the city into the encampment and they find all the food that has been left behind there and they eat and they can eat no more. The city is saved. The four lepers who were considered unclean and cast off and cut out were, were the heroes of the story. They became the heroes of the story. And that's the sermon I want to preach this morning. That's the sermon I want to, want to preach today. This is a sermon that the Bible preaches, a story that the Bible tells over and over and over again. 
You know, all this year, this, this last few months, as we've been talking about opening the doors of the church wider, opening the doors of the church wider for people with disabilities, opening the doors of the church wider for people of color, opening the doors of the church wider for, for children and for seniors, opening the doors of the church wider for our LGBTQ siblings, opening the doors of the church wider for immigrants and refugees and people we've never met before. All this year, as we've been talking talking about opening the doors of the church wider, what we've discovered is that the Bible tells the same kind of story over and over and over again. The Bible is filled with stories in which the people who were forced to knock on the door, the people who were cast off and excluded, the people who were shut out of the city end up being the very people who save the city. The Bible sometimes puts it this way, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Bible tells us that story over and over and over, preaches that sermon over and over and over again. And after a year of hearing these stories, after a year of, of hearing these sermons, I hope that by now we all, we all understand and have come to believe what these stories are, are trying to tell us. Why is it so important that there's a place in our church for the ministries of the Jan Stileys of this world? Why is it so important for us to open the doors of the church wider to people who have been shut out of other churches, for people who have been forced to stand and wait and knock? It's not because we believe by letting them in we're going to save them. It's because God tells us over and over again in Scripture that they're the people God is going to use to save us. Let's pray. God, we pray. God, we pray that you would give us ears to hear. God, we pray that you would give us eyes to see. We pray that you would give us the wisdom, the wisdom to know when to open the door wider. God, we give you thanks for the, the diversity of this church family. We give you thanks for people with disabilities. We give you thanks for people of color. We give you thanks for our LGBTQ siblings. We give you thanks for seniors and for children, for immigrants and refugees and strangers. God, we give you thanks for all of the many people who make up this church family and the ways in which they minister, even when they're lying flat on their backs. God, we pray. God, we pray that you would use us to save each other. In Jesus, we pray. Amen.